and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? Joined this afternoon by Rick Graham, who is Chief Risk Officer at the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. Rick, welcome to the show. Mike, it's good to be here. Thanks. Well, I appreciate you taking time to uh, speak with me on a day that's probably like any other day lately of managing risk in a pandemic. I'm sure you've got a lot of things on your plate, so we'll try and get through all this stuff as quick as we can. You know, I have to say, when I was preparing for this conversation, um, the one thought that really came to my mind was, you know, how challenging it must be to be a risk manager in a pandemic, but then to be a risk manager in a pandemic at a major transportation authority. What is that like for you? Well, it's been it's been challenging, and and for all of my peers in the risk management profession, I think we would all agree that we had all thought about you know major incidents and and tried to plan. And what you learn is that despite all the planning that you do and preparedness, uh, you're never really prepared. We as an organization had to move very quickly. I'm very proud of what we've done to protect our employees and our riders. And we've been committed to to safety. I, I think the most important lesson that keeps coming up to me is you have to remain nimble and that uh, things change hourly. We found that in in March as we were making decisions about what we were going to do with staff and sending them home and what we we're going to do with service with the system. Um, it was literally hourly uh, decisions, you know, and we've done very well to this point. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that when you're faced with the challenge of, you know, how do you just do your job remotely? How do you manage your team remotely? And how do you deal with the C-suite? I would imagine integrally involved and interested in hearing from you on a much more regular basis, wouldn't you say? Yeah, especially early on, it seemed that I was on WebEx call from the time I started my morning until you know well into the evening with various levels of senior management and you know information sharing and thinking about how we could continue to run the business remotely was was first and foremost let's get everybody who's able to work remotely to work remotely and then how do we protect those of our staff that have to remain in service and our frontline staff so there was a lot of communication back and forth and then you know when you sit at this level part of the conversation then is with you know external folk and i reached out to a number of my peers in the business and we talked at length about what they were doing uh, interestingly enough, the, the biggest helping hand I got was from my colleagues in, in healthcare who had a really interesting perspective on how they were going to protect their workforce. 
we were taking steps that were very similar, even though we we're a transit authority. Yeah, I would imagine there's some similarities because you both have, you know, critical employees who have to be on the job. That's exactly right. And then that's the how do you protect them? How do you provide them with PPE? How do you make sure that if somebody does get sick, that you keep engaged with them and uh, get them the help they need and the support and then start contact tracing in the event that you know they were around other people and, and that was indeed the case. And we did a really good job with that component. That's great. COVID aside, could you speak a bit about how you made the leap from being, coming in as a director of workers' comp to your current role as chief risk officer? So it started really early on when I was hired a little over six years ago. The risk management department at SEPTA, as part of organizational life cycles, had been probably 15 years ago uh, disassembled and pieces put in different spots. Workers' comp was sitting underneath HR. Underwriting was really sitting underneath safety. And then some of the other claims management functions were sitting under the general counsel's office. So when I got in the door, I was asked to sit in on a meeting about cyber liability with the underwriting folk and our broker and some other stakeholders within the authority, finance, IT. And I asked one question in that meeting. And I said, look, I'm the new guy, but I have, a, I have one question. All the heads snapped around and looked at me. It was a pointed question about what was the assumptions we were making about cyber liability. And uh, shortly thereafter, the underwriting group was uh, was moved underneath me. And then I just was given more pieces as time went on. And really within the first year, I was doing the job I'm doing right now. It, it just simply took a while as an organization for the, the title to catch up with what I'm doing, which I, I don't think that that's uh, uncommon in a lot of organizations. But I was uh, fortunate enough to actually be sitting in, in an airport in London back in the fall when uh, the announcement was made about the promotion. Uh, I was coming back from, from Lloyd's of London after a pretty successful underwriting trip. So uh, that, that, that was very, uh, a really important day for me. Yeah, I can imagine that must have been an incredible day for you. Yeah, combination of, of everything I think I've worked toward when I first got into the industry. And I, I really like so many people that are contemporary to me, we got into this by accident. And that's kind of a running joke. Uh, my peers that are similar uh, vintage as I am, we, we didn't have any intention to get into risk management, but here we are. But I'm really proud of our industry and, and what we're doing to educate and grow new risk managers right out of, uh, right out of college. Yeah, there's, there's a tremendous growth going on right now at the university level with all these different schools having you know, degree programs in insurance and risk management. I don't know what the actual number is right this moment, but I know it's well over 60 nationwide. Yeah, and the Philadelphia area is sitting on top of two really good ones, St. Joe's and Temple University, and both great schools. Absolutely. So you actually have a degree in political science, though. That's right. I had thought about being a lawyer. And just if you, if you allow me, just a really quick story. My summer between my junior and senior year in college, I spent the summer painting a, a, a very large law firm in the county seat where I live. Uh, my dad was a painting contractor. So I was around lawyers all summer. 
that fall, I went back to my faculty advisor and told him, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> so then I had no plan B, but I had a number of friends who were older that worked in the loss control business because of, and I knew them because I was in the volunteer fire service. Uh, I'd been a volunteer fireman for a long time. And at that point I was just starting that. And, uh, a couple of people took me under their wing that were in loss control. And through that, I initially did some part-time work doing some underwriting uh, surveys for a bunch of small, medium-sized insurance carriers. And then kind of the rest is history from there. Awesome. So, you know, when you think about the culmination of your career, you know, starting out in loss control and the different roles that you had, I mean, you know, um, gravitating into claims and combining claims with loss control, and then touching on corporate compliance. You know, you've really covered the gamut. I, I, I have, and I've been fortunate along the way in a couple of respects. I've worked for people along the way that have given me opportunity. And I also took some risk. You know, as a risk manager, I actually took some risk myself around my, my career. And much to the dismay of my wife, I made a couple of rapid moves uh, over a period of about seven years, just as we got married and we were starting a family. I think I drove her crazy, but each move was an important one in growing me as a professional. The, the job I had before SEPTA was with Crozier Keystone Health System, and that I had a nice 10-year run there. But prior to that, I'd gone to work as a risk manager at a, a telecom, and I, I really hadn't done my due diligence about the financial health of that organization. Um, they were struggling. I jumped on board and I worked for the CFO, which was a, a game changer for me, working directly for a CFO and being forced not to think as a claims or loss control person, but more like a finance person. If we were an organization that had a lot of financial problems and that was publicly traded and had been delisted and then had a going concern letter and trying to get DNO coverage, it, it was an incredible amount of experience jammed into uh, not quite four years that had I not had that experience, I would not have been ready to accept the challenge at Crozier Keystone, which was the proving grounds for me to uh, to make this move to to SEPTA. So working for the CFO was a game changer, you were saying, right? Absolutely. Just just looking at the balance sheet issues. I, as a loss control professional and as a claims person, especially young in my career, I knew that there were financial impacts, but I didn't know the extent. I, I really honed the skills of being able to read um, you know, annual reports, quarterly reports. And one of the big pieces of knowledge I walked away from was being able to prepare a, a board book. In my last year at the telecom, the CFO came to me and asked me if I would put together his quarterly report to the board. So I would cobble together all of the material from the, their, his other direct reports, and I would put it together and um, we'd walk through it. It gave me incredible insight into what's important and what's not important to communicate at that level and that time is so precious when you're talking to a board and the and the rest of the c-suite you, you've got to get your message out you've got to keep it short and you've got to keep repeating it and and be able to back it up the concept of having you know documents in my back pocket was really reinforced and 
I took that lesson and applied it when I when I moved on, and it, it'll stay with me for the rest of my career. You know, I'm sure that it will, because that is the kind of experience that you know makes you, to a large extent, who you are today. And it's the kind of thing that you've probably talked about quite a bit whenever you talk to anyone about your career and when you're training your people on your team now, I would imagine. Yeah. One of the things that I do with my staff in terms of a development standpoint is I overshare and I will talk with them openly about things I've done in my career. And I don't shy away from talking about where I fell on my face professionally uh, because there's a lot of good learning that comes from failure often. And then I also encourage, especially my managers that work work directly for me, I've challenged them to understand what each other does because I have a manager over responsible for claims. I have a manager for underwriting. I have a, a data analytics manager. I have a manager of vocational rehabilitation. And they all have a sense of what everybody else is doing. And then we do a, a weekly get together and we go over the weekly uh, key performance indicators. And then there's an open round table so we can talk about what's going on. And it's a big sharing session. So that's that's important to me is just overshare, over communicate and make sure everybody understands the bigger picture and where they fit into it. That brings me to another point. You know, how do you manage a high performing team topic? As a recruiter, I get calls from people who are high performers who have kind of peaked out and they're not feeling challenged or they're no longer feeling engaged. And I understand that, you know, there's a shelf life sometimes to to a particular role or to a person's tenure with an organization because, you know, sometimes there's just no place to move. So as a manager, if you have high-performing people on your team, what are some of the things that you do to help keep them engaged? I think the first thing that I, I do is I recognize that everybody's different. And, and that's so important. Our differences are what collaboratively make us better. And then I manage them. I understand what they need from a management style. I'm very open. And I ask them, you know, what do you need from me? And then I, I am of the belief of if they understand the big picture goal, I turn them loose and let them go. And one of the things I will say often to them is, you understand the goal? Yep. And I'm like, well, just keep me informed. I found that that approach has, has been very successful. And it has to do with trust. I trust them. And by doing that, they realize I trust them. And when you're trusted, you will go the extra mile. And that certainly has, has been the case. Then I'll give you one example. Uh, we recently finished up a project of a lot of mission critical system conversions. We were using access as a, as a database engine to, to handle a number of claim functions. And uh, anybody who's familiar with access knows that it's okay in the short run for some projects, some projects, but once it, it grows and as it updates, it becomes problematic. So if an analyst who works for me, who is not even at the management level, I gave her the project. I told her to keep me informed and Elaine worked very hard with people that outranked her in, in IT and finance. And that, you know, at the director level, she was working with directors in finance and in IT and she brought this project home and we just went live with the last component of it and did extraordinarily well to the point where she was recognized within our organization as a annual winner of our women in transit award, which is a very 
prestigious award within our organization. And I'm so proud that of of her. And I just saw so much growth in her during it. And I have confidence she built it was it was just great to see. That's awesome. Awesome. That is a really great example of good management, in my opinion, because, you know, just giving someone the opportunity to take the ball and run with it. And as you said, showing them that that you trust them, being available if they need help, but not pushing yourself on them and, and letting them figure out how to do it. That's uh, that's awesome. Moving on from there, you report to the general counsel. Is that correct? Yes, I do. And I know as we've talked recently about this, um, you have some pretty strong views about this person and what they've been able to do for you as well. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think that you know most risk management professionals will have a different opinion on where they, they think that they should report. I think if you would have asked me 10 years ago where I thought the um, risk management function should report, I would have been adamant that it re- report to finance. When I was at Crozier Keystone, I reported up under the general counsel. And then when I came to SEPTA, the function had shifted from actually an HR function over to underneath the general counsel. And the general counsel had started about three or four months before I did. And he came from the outside, extremely dynamic. He has brought out and amplified some of the better qualities in me. And the example I just gave about trust and your staff, I I really took that from from Gino. He, He was very big on the concept of trust and that trusting your employees and your colleagues and your coworkers and that if you do that, they will do great things. He, he follows the same kind of model of oversharing. He's a very strong communicator. And especially in the last four months, as we face this COVID challenge, the communication has been uh, critical. Uh, just open communication with our staff, his direct reports. And I continue to try to mile, uh, model that. And he always finds the positive of, of things. And, and you can imagine that the, the position he has, you're just inundated with, with things that aren't always pleasant, but he always finds a way to be positive. And, and I'm trying to, to model that and lead in a similar fashion. That's a good thing to model. And, you know, the one thing I was thinking about is while we've been talking here, you know, you're in a high stress kind of a job in a, in a high stress organization during a high stress time, but you seem extremely calm and cool and collected. Is that your nature? I don't think it's, it, it is inherently. People who, who know me know that I can be a bit high strung, but I think that life experience has taught me that you've got to be cool under pressure. And, and I'll tie that back to two things. One, the fire service, uh, being a volunteer fireman, starting that when I was young, uh, that really, y- you have to be able to think when, when things are going sideways. And I found that I was very good at being able to do that. And then, you know, sports. I was a ice hockey goaltender, just recently gave it up a couple of years ago. And then I coached. You know, and, and you've got to have a little bit of ice water in your veins to do that as well. Yeah, you get you get some butterflies. Um, have I had some sleepless nights during the past four months? Absolutely. But I think what's kept me positive is my boss, my staff, and and my colleagues in the industry. I feel that I have an obligation to my staff to to be to be positive. Um, very, at one point in my career, when I was working for the telecom, I walked into the CFO's office and 
we'd had a situation out in the West Coast that went sideways on us. And I, I kind of flew in the door and just started, you know, yakking on about what had happened. And he looked at me and he says, walk out the door, compose yourself and come back in again. And I did. And I sat down and he said, the last person in this organization that has to run around like you were just running around is you. You have to be the calm, calming voice in this organization. And that was very profound for me. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've worked on that. I'm not always the best at it, Mike, but I've worked on it since. Well, that's great. You know, it's, it's, I'm sure that in your line of work, it's not always easy to remember that. But I can totally imagine that people look to you to be the calming influence to keep everybody on, on track. So, so that's great. But I have to say, before we go any further, I, I, I don't want to let this one point slip by me. But did you say you were a, an ice hockey goalie? Yeah, it's, it's a kind of funny to think that the risk manager was a goaltender. The CFO that I worked for, the telecom, found a bit of humor in that. And I was still an active fireman at the time and an ice hockey goalie. And he, he thought that that was quite humorous. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, you know, I'm a, a former hockey player myself, actually. And, uh, and I was playing uh, probably up until about five or six years ago, perhaps. You know, I just got a little tired of the very late night games. Yeah. Very, yep. Hard to, very hard to go to work the next day. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and I think also, you know, in terms of uh, staying calm, cool, and collected, there are a lot of situations in a hockey game that could get you all ramped up. Yeah, and I think that the transition from player to coaching at the youth level and I did that in the, the scholastic setting through the junior varsity in the local high school. You, you're modeling a behavior all the time. And I would talk to the parents about that. And I would tell them that I, if I don't seem overly animated on the bench, don't take that as a, I'm not competitive. Uh, I'm trying to message something to the, the, the players, which is, you know, stay focused, stay calm do your job and that you can't do that if you're a raging lunatic and certainly can't do that as a professional either. Yep. No, absolutely. So I've, uh, I've coached a fair amount of little league and I've coached hockey and I could tell you, it, it's very interesting to see, you know, a lot of the, the teams that I was involved with, you know, we had parent coaches. So the parents sometimes off, off the ice or off the field were calm, cool and collected, normal, seemingly normal people, but you put them in a coaching situation sometimes and they just would lose their minds. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's hysterical. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past was the importance of developing and managing your own brand. Yep. And that's not a comment that I hear every day from a risk manager. So could you speak a little bit about, you know, how you came to that conclusion and what are some of the things you do to manage your brand? Well, I think it, it, it didn't come to me at one point. I think that it's a concept that I I keep coming back to and I keep thinking about. And it, it probably started 20 years ago. I was at a, um, a management training event and the presenter talked about this concept of your career and you had to view yourself as a tomato on a tomato plant. I thought to myself, where's this going? And he said, you know, at one point in your career, you're green. And then, you know, after a while you become ripe. And then if you stay on the vine too long, you will rot. And that really drove home to me the importance of 
you've got to make an investment in yourself in terms of training and education, doing new things within your organization. And then if you, you just can't go any further in the organization, you have to be open to make uh, transitions. And in, in every transition I've made, I felt that I was, was in that ripe stage. And, and that's what drove me to go to SEPTA. I was completely content at Crozier Keystone Health System. Very happy there. My boss wasn't going anywhere. Great situation. But I knew that if I stayed, I would potentially go down the rot. So that's the investment. So when you think yourself of a brand, you know, you think of the, you know, an Apple, you think of, you think of Ford, you think of Amazon. They're always investing back into themselves. That's, that's one thing that they do to, to grow their brand. Then there's also a component of marketing. And, you know, as a professional, you do that a couple ways. First and foremost, it's, it's the quality of your work. And then it's, it's how you conduct yourself amongst others. I've worked very hard in the Philadelphia area in the workers' comp space to build a better relationship with the workers' compensation judges so that they, I'm seen as reasonable and that we're trying to do the right things as an employer. And, and it's paid off in terms of dividends. So it's your reputation that's important. And there's a bit of marketing that goes along with that. And then also you have to continue to invest in your own network. My network is the reason I'm at SEPTA. One of my peer, my, my predecessor at SEPTA and I knew each other. And when she made the decision to retire, she approached a number of us in the industry and asked us if we would be interested. And, and interestingly enough, my initial reaction was no. And then she was persistent. And then I had that thought in my, my mind about being that ripe tomato on the vine and the this would definitely be a leap. It was, you know, going to a transit organization or from a healthcare focused organization that that's a, that's a big change in terms of what service you're providing. And so for me, it made completely, it made complete sense to make that jump. So by doing that, you know, I, I invested back into my brand and I had used my brand in terms of my network and my reputation to, to, uh, to get me to where I'm at today. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, I have to say, so I'm, I'm thinking of your analogy with the tomatoes on the vine and everything, and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe you're a little green, maybe you're not quite ready to be picked, but you're mentally, you're ready for that next challenge. So, you, you know, you're thinking to yourself, gee, you know, I'm not quite ripe yet, but I want to be picked. So how do I make myself pickable? <laughs> And that's what I think about as a recruiter is, you know, how, how do you how do you take someone who shows the potential to to do great things and to step up into a role, but maybe doesn't have all the experience yet of a more senior person? And how do you show the potential employer that you're the right person to be picked now? That's what I think about when you talk about tomatoes. I think there's an element of taking risk in that, though. If you're content to sit behind your desk and, you know, Put your time in every week and not get involved with outside organizations you're not going to go anywhere it's, it's the outside work is really important just as much as the inside of your organization work yep no great points great points so now just continuing with this theme you know you're the senior manager you've been the senior manager for a while and your role is your role and now maybe you have a new boss maybe your company gets acquired 
whatever the case may be, you now have to prove yourself all over again. Have you ever ever faced something like that? Yeah, I think that, you know, throughout my career, I've had changes in in bosses above me. And you can't underestimate the the value of who you're led by. I think, well, I know that one of the things that keeps my feet firmly on the ground where I'm at currently is, is my boss. I would have a very difficult time imagining working for somebody else. But if that situation would arise within the organization, you have to go right back to square one and you have to earn that trust all over again with the the new leadership and you have to communicate and you have to show the value that your department is bringing to the organization. You can't assume it and you can't just put your finger on the data and say, well, look at all these great things we've done over the last couple of years. It's, it's starting a brand new relationship all over again. And you cannot take anything for granted. You know, with respect to where, where I sit today, I still have enough time in front of me as a professional where I think about, you know, is this, is this the last stop? I think in my heart of hearts, I know that it's not. I think I have a number of things that I still want to accomplish and want to get to those. And I'm fortunate that with an organization as big and as complex, there's always going to be new challenges. I I joked with the uh, head of safety at one point. I said, your job is to put me out of a job. And he said, even if we eliminate all the injuries, they'll have stuff for you to do. And, And that's very true. So, you know, even within my own organization right now, I, I'm kind of looking at the landscape and there's a couple things within the organization that don't roll up underneath me that, you know, would be a stretch, but I think it would make sense to to bring under my umbrella at some point in time. And that's that's where you grow and keep it fresh. Um, you know, if that, that doesn't happen, there's, you know, always a possibility of doing something outside of the organization and, and moving on. Yep. That's all uh, very good points as well. And when I think about the people that I've encountered throughout my career who somehow seem to always manage to stand on their own two feet throughout every merger that their company has been involved in and every new boss that they get, I think about the people that have really been able to to broaden their network both within the company and outside the company, people who have avoided stagnation and managed to keep themselves fresh and to, to continue learning. And I know you and I have talked about that point as well. Yeah, you've got to build those relationships and you've got to keep yourself relevant. There's just so much changing in the economy. And then the next, you know, the next couple of years are are certainly going to be um, very challenging. And it it all, it puts us in in all a similar spot. It's it's like the reset button was hit in, in a way and that things are so uncharted that nobody really has the the roadmap to go forward. So it's going to be a a really interesting time and you have to be adaptable and you have to be willing to learn and do new things. So, you know, the the pandemic kind of thrust thrust that upon us. Yeah, uh, it certainly has. So I guess that would be the positive spin on this negative situation is, you know, it's forced us to really reinvent ourselves in a lot of different ways. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Well, Rick, you know, this has been a great conversation and uh, I really appreciate your time. When we get on the other side of this pandemic, but love to maybe catch up with you again and see how life has maybe calmed down a little bit for you. Thank you very much. Welcome, Mike. Looking forward to seeing you again. Same here. Same here. 
Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time.